Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast on the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts and every week you'll be hearing conversations with agents from across our business about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Victoria Garrett, Head of Residential for Asia Pacific. Victoria and I will be chatting about the highs and lows of her career, her most exciting property sales and what it really takes to make it in the world of real estate. Victoria joined Knight Frank back in 2010 as an associate in our Chelsea office. Since then her career has taken her across the world where she now heads up our residential team for Asia Pacific. With over 15 years experience in the property industry across two continents, she's a font of knowledge and expertise. Victoria, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. It's really great to share with you some of my insights and hope it'll be interesting to people to to learn a bit from my career to date. And how are you doing today? How is lockdown life over in Singapore? So we are going into week eight of the circuit breaker in Singapore, which is effectively lockdown. And I am obviously a full-time employed member of Knight Frank, but also a full-time mother of two. Um, So it's been challenging. We've definitely had our highs and lows of juggling work from home and e-learning and just adapting to the new environment. Um, But it's also been really interesting and really innovative in terms of connectivity we've had across the network, advising our clients, our fantastic research teams, really helping to advise in terms of what is an unprecedented situation at the moment and what we're seeing and trying to learn from from previous situations. So it's been been busy, uh, but good. And there's been a lot in the news about how different countries have handled the pandemic. How do you think things have been in Singapore, especially in comparison to the UK in terms of how they've coped with coronavirus? It's really hard to compare the two. Singapore, it's much easier in terms of its borders in and out. And um, we obviously came into the pandemic earlier than the UK did. So back in February, really, we had cases here in Singapore. Unfortunately, due to the rise of numbers in the workers' dorms, our numbers are very high, but actually outside of the worker dorm communities, the numbers in Singapore at the moment are very low. They're just between sort of two to four a day. But the country is really taking all the precautions they can to make sure that we do everything we can to get back to normality, but in a safer way as possible. And it's fascinating that despite everybody dealing with the same virus, that each country has taken a different approach to how they go about combating it. And as a parent, how have you found the balance between working from home and teaching your children from home? Definitely had its uh, highs and lows. So I've got two boys who are eight and five, so at very different stages of their learning. And I'm not a qualified teacher and I have a lot of respect for teachers, even more so now from trying to sort of juggle work from home and e-learning as well. So between my husband and I, we've been sort of trying to help the children with their work. And it's hard. It's also hard mentally for for children. I think we don't really realise the impact this is having on them, especially So my son, who is eight, is very aware that people are dying from COVID across the world and we're staying at home to stop the spread and keep safe. But obviously that presents many issues in terms of his understanding and then also missing his friends. I never thought I'd hear him say, I just want to go back to school. But that's definitely been mentioned by both my boys a few times because they miss that social environment and also the structured learning from their teachers. So it's it's been really interesting to get an insight into how both my boys learn. I would never have had this window into they're learning in the same way as we have now, as I say, week eight into the circuit breaker. 
So it's been hard, but it's also been great spending time with family and, and having that interaction. I would normally travel a lot, so I'm around a lot more than I normally would be. So we begin every podcast by taking things back to the start to find out what inspired you to pursue a career in property. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about where that impetus to pursue this career path came from? So from a very early age, I would say property was in my DNA. And this was instilled by my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur. And his main business was a building firm, which built large housing estates in and around Bidolf in Staffordshire. Um, and he'd built and designed his own beautiful home and was a real pillar of the community, sat on many boards and was a local mayor multiple times. And I used to go every summer and spend two weeks with him and my step-grandmother along with my brother. And I'd go on visits to the sites with him and see the projects that he and his teams were working on. That definitely inspired me. And alongside that, I was always very into art and design. So with the two combined together, that led me into a career in property. And what in particular drove you from the arts and design side into the more sales focused arena? Did you ever consider going into perhaps the more developmental side of property? I actually didn't ever look at going into the design side. I hadn't studied architecture or thought about interior design as a career properly and when I finished university I moved back home to Bath where my parents lived and I was working out what I wanted to do for my career and at roughly the same time as I finished university the flat that my brother and I both owned together which was a two-bed his flatmate decided that they were uh, moving out and so I was told do you want to move in so I started looking at at job opportunities and I wasn't completely clear having done history of art and French for my degree exactly which route I was going to go down I've always been interested in property but I hadn't necessarily thought about going into being a state agent and I looked at a few graduate trainee schemes and that's actually how it started I actually went to work for a company in London within a week of sort of thinking what what I was going to do and if I was going to move to London I started in property and being a very social people person I very quickly enjoyed the interactions I had and didn't look back And what was it that you loved so much in those early years of your career? I was fascinated by seeing people's homes, understanding people's needs and wants in terms of buying property and helping people find solutions for the vendor that was looking to sell, finding them a buyer and for the buyer that was looking to buy their first home, which people buying a property is the single biggest purchase they will ever make in most people's lifetimes. It's a huge decision. It's a hugely personal journey. And I really enjoyed being a part of that. And do you think you adapted quite well in those early years to the life of an agent or was it something that took a little longer to get into the flow and get used to? I would say I adapted pretty quickly. I really, as I said, got a a buzz from it and really enjoyed meeting people, interacting with them and closing deals. Of course, there are highs and lows in any sales job, but I think the lows make the highs even sweeter, don't they? So, And you learn from them. You learn a lot as you go along and I'm still learning every day now. And you started off at Night Frank in our Chelsea office. Was there any reason in particular why you chose Chelsea or was it more the job became available and you decided to take it and adapt rather than set out initially to end up in Chelsea? So I'd already worked in the area for a bit before I joined Night Frank and I really liked the location and liked the really diverse pool of buyers that you interacted with. London is such a cosmopolitan city and that really gave me exposure to people from all over the world. So I enjoyed that part of it. I love the architecture, the different styles of architecture within the area, the the modern and the, the period. And I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. So in terms of going to work for Knight Frank, I was referred to Knight Frank by a previous employer to one of the equity partners. 
And and then I was interviewed by several different people about where they thought I would best fit within the organisation. And then I was offered the role to go and work in the Chelsea office. And you spent four years working in our Chelsea office. What were the biggest lessons that you learned over the course of those four years? It was interesting working in the Chelsea office because actually I went through two stages in my personal life. I actually got married and had my first child while I was working for the Knight Frank office in Chelsea. And it was very interesting starting off building my network or developing further network I already had from working in the area previously. And then also coming back into the office again, having had maternity leave. And actually, it's about the family and support you get from the business and the people you work with. And also learning to listen and understand people, really understanding your clients' needs. One thing I was taught from the very beginning of my career is you have two ears and and one mouth for a reason. And that's something that I would really share with people. And I think understanding our clients has really been the key to my success to date. That's really interesting because I think a lot of the rhetoric surrounding sales and the property industry is all about talk, talk, talk and getting your message out and being the most confident and extroverted version of yourself. And and listening is often forgotten in that conversation. Was there a particular incident that made you realise the value of listening? It's something I was taught in the first company I went to work for in their training. So before you went into the front office, they talked about the skills you needed to think about when you were interacting with clients. And it's really stuck with me. And you're right, people talk about sales being about gift of the gab, but I think it's actually about the gift of listening and understanding. So it's something that was given to me as sort of the foundation of going into the estate agency world. And it's something I've really held close to me. And if you ask me for an example, I think it's not just listening. I think it's not presuming as well. Very easy to presume and make assumptions about people's needs and wants or why they're doing something. But actually, you need to ask people and you need to ask them, you know, why they're looking to move or what they're looking for and why is that and really dig in to understand. So then you know when you're looking to help them find a property or even when you're helping to find a buyer, you know, buyers buy from like-minded sellers you understand the character of the person you're looking for that would suit that property Mm, and I suppose it's all about developing these relationships and it's impossible to do that without listening and trying to understand things from people's perspective in a non-judgmental way exactly you absolutely have to listen and really get under the skin to really do the right job and to look after your clients needs And from our Chelsea office, you then moved to Dubai and your career took a more international route to where you've now ended up as head of residential for Asia Pacific. Had you always harboured that ambition to have a more international element to your career or was it something that developed organically and the opportunity arose and you decided to take it? So I only expected to go away for two years and that's quite common when you speak to expats. They say, yeah, I was just going to go for two years and sort of 10 years later or seven years later, in my case, I'm in a different continent to where I started. So I would say the reason I moved to Dubai is actually for my husband's career opportunity. I just got settled back into work after having my first son and was really feeling confident and comfortable in what I was doing. And then my husband was offered a job, which was a fantastic opportunity. And at the time, Knight Frank had 15 people in their Middle East team based out of Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And we didn't have an office open in Saudi at that point. So we as a couple talked about what we were looking to do and the fact that we'd looked to do this for two years and it would be a great opportunity to go and live abroad. And I studied abroad in France and gone to Bordeaux University for a year. So I wasn't that didn't worry me moving abroad and doing that. And then I went to the then um, global head of residential, Andy Hay, 
and also James Pace, the head of the office in Chelsea at the time. And I said, look, my husband's got this opportunity, but I would absolutely love to stay with Knight Frank. Is there a chance I could move to Dubai and stay with Knight Frank? And I was very fortunate that that there was an opportunity. And so then I moved to Dubai and I lived in Dubai for four years before I was then given the opportunity again by Knight Frank. This time they came to me and said, would I go and be the head of residential for Asia Pacific? And that's where my sort of path took me. And it's been hugely enriching. I'm so fortunate to have traveled to so many places as a result of my career. So from being based in Dubai, I traveled regularly into Saudi, probably every six weeks for business trips into Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman, Egypt. So that huge range of diverse cultures that I was exposed to. And I have to say, if someone had said to me a year before I moved to Dubai that I would be traveling into all those countries, I wouldn't have believed them. And then going into Asia now, I get to travel all around Asia. Our business is huge in Asia, you know, from Australia to India, Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, China. And it's been incredible to be a part of the growth of those businesses, help develop those teams and really help build our brand across the network. That's such an interesting story. And it's amazing that you've had so many opportunities to do so much internationally in terms of your career. But when you first moved to Dubai, did you struggle at all adapting to a completely new environment and being away from London and everything you knew before? So when I moved to Dubai, I was lucky on the one hand that we knew a few people who were there already. But what I missed was my network of close friends. So having had my first child in Orlando was 18 months old, we moved to Dubai and I went and started work quite quickly. It can sometimes be hard to to build that network up around you, especially when you're working long hours and when you're not working, you're wanting to put your time into your family. So it definitely took me probably about six months to really build my network around me and to feel happy, really happy living there. And Dubai is a very easy place to live. Culturally, it's no different in the way that I see it to probably living in London. I know a lot of people who haven't been to Dubai perhaps wouldn't see it that way, but honestly, it is. You can walk around in t-shirt and shorts. That's not a problem. In terms of then traveling into Saudi, that was very different. And a lot of people have asked me about my experience of doing that. And obviously, when I first went in, it was very different to how it is now. And I was wearing the full abaya and um, shola to cover my hair. But I totally respect, you know, I respect that that's what was expected of me going into Saudi. I respect the religion there. And um, I really, as I said, found it very culturally enriching being able to travel to these very different countries and experience different cultures and meet some amazing people. And I'm in touch with quite a few of my clients from the Middle East still now. Which is, which is really fantastic. And it's great to have that global network of, of people that I interact with and to still understand what's happening in those markets today. And to somebody listening who wants to pursue a similar career in international property, but doesn't quite know where to start, what advice would you give to them? My advice to anyone in, in any job is being passionate about what you do in your chosen career, whatever it is, is so important. And make sure you listen and learn as much as possible and reach out to people to ask for help and advice. Only last week, a former colleague reached out to me for a friend who's living in Singapore and looking at getting into the property industry to see if I could have a chat with them. Just think about leveraging your network to help support you. And if you're just starting out, building your network, LinkedIn is a great place to start. Or reach out internally if you're already working in an organization to chat to people that have lived abroad and understand their experiences and if you think it would suit you too. 
And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you'd just come off maternity leave before you decided to move to Dubai. And this is a question that usually is only ever asked of women. And I really want to make sure that with this podcast, we're asking it of both men and women. But I'd be really interested to know how you found balancing working life with motherhood, especially when you just moved to a completely new place. It's not easy. I'm not going to lie. It's it is for any for any parents working and juggling looking after children and for all those people who have been working from home in their various lockdowns around the world and spending more time as a family together and interacting with your children in their home learning as well it's it's not easy and for me I was brought up by a working mother uh, who I never thought I wouldn't work and I never thought I wouldn't be a mother and I also was brought up not seeing myself as male or female. I was brought up being me, Victoria Garrett. And if I wanted to achieve something that was down to me to make it happen, and I didn't see myself advantaged or disadvantaged from being a woman. So when it came into parenting and working, I always saw myself having a career, but it does have its challenges. And you do have moments where you feel like you're losing on all fronts, but moments when you're winning on all fronts, and there are definite highs and lows. So it's really about having a good support network around you. I've got some amazing friends, men and women who are parents who have demanding jobs and helping support your community and also support from your business. And it's about businesses adapting and understanding. And I think through this situation with COVID-19, people are much more aware of the fact that there are these challenges and pressures in terms of your wider personal life in terms of bringing up a family and juggling everything and people are doing amazing jobs from doing it from home and I would be lying if I said I found it easy I haven't Um, but I've also found it possibility to get some balance in there and to work out a pattern and I think it's also preparing and working out how you structure your time and your day and, and you make yourself effective so going to Dubai without my family nearby to support me but we are very hands-on parents you know for me I'm a very um, interactive mother. I'm the class parent for my eldest son's class. I try and be as involved as possible, but also make sure that I am delivering what I need to do for work and also then inputting as much as I can in enriching my children's time outside of school. And is that balance between your work life and your personal life something that comes quite naturally to you? Do you find it quite easy to shut your laptop at the end of the day and say, okay, now it's my personal time? Or is it a bit more of a struggle and you're wanting to reply to emails until late in the evening? Definitely something I've had to work on. I think that it is uh, very easy to to worry about what other people are thinking about what you're doing. And I think we're all our own harshest critics. So I think that from a perspective of what I felt I was delivering and what I was doing, I've learned to be a bit easier on myself, but that's also been helped by people around me people, my bosses at Night Frank, you know, really helping support me. So I would say it's become easier with time and experience. And I think also the fact that people's understanding of what it means to be a full-time parent and working and the challenges that poses as well. And we've seen a lot of change in terms of people's perspective on that. And you look at paternity leave as well as maternity leave, you look at different companies providing support in different ways for working parents. That's definitely evolved very rapidly over the eight years since I've become a parent. 
moving on to the more practical and logistical side of your role, how do you manage working across so many different time zones and markets, especially when the Knight Frank headquarters are here in London rather than in Singapore? It's a good question because we've got a big network. And for as long as I can remember, I think I've been quite good at multitasking. And that sort of comes back into the other questions you're asking about balancing life and work and children. But it's also about having a great team around you and trying to work at that balance um, and doing the best you can every day. So I found really planning and preparation are key and that there are only so many hours in the day and you've got to sort of work out your priorities and make sure you stick to your plan. So In terms of juggling those time zones, it's really about being prepared. So before I go into each week, I think about what's happening in that week, who I need to speak to, um, which time zones they're in, how we're going to to manage all of that. I'm lucky within the time zones in Asia, there isn't too much difference. There's quite a big chunk of the day when we're all online. And a big part of Night Frank is that collaboration piece. So we speak regularly across the different markets, sharing market understanding and intel and learning from each other. Obviously, London comes on, but the great thing is London comes on at sort of three in the afternoon. So there's still quite a few hours in the day for Europe and London to interact as well. And the Middle East aren't that far behind us in, in the day. They obviously come online before London. So there's, you just have to juggle. You just have to really structure time. Um, but it is possible to do. And sometimes you end up being on calls late at night. And sometimes you end up being on calls early in the morning. But that that's fine. And at Night Frank, we have a presence all over the world. And as you touched on there, we're especially active across Asia. What is it about that global network? work that you find so valuable? What I find so valuable with the Night Frank network is actually we are connected, properly connected. We can pick up the phone and we know each other. We understand our businesses and we have clients who have diverse needs across the globe. So we've got some amazing examples of property transactions that have happened referred from one part of the business to the other where we work seamlessly hand in hand looking after our clients and I see that in action on a daily basis so what I what I feel is unique is that actually it's not a a franchise it is a, a a living breathing business with relationships that are built on trust with teams that know each other and interact with each other And looking more at the market side, what trends do you notice in terms of people from Asia Pacific looking to invest in markets such as London? On the residential side, in terms of investment properties, it tended to be more off-plan properties. And if you look at UK investors who are more likely to buy secondary market properties, it was more investors from abroad who were used to living in high rises, condos with amenities. And you see all the amenities that have evolved in the UK market um, over the years. It's been more of an affinity to off-plan property purchases. What we're actually seeing, and we have seen pre and now during the COVID-19 situation, is more of affinity towards people wanting completed properties to live in and more of a home owner, uh, occupier purchase. What we're also seeing at the moment, which is interesting, and I think these situations like a global pandemic really get people to sit and think about what's important to them, what's important about their home as a safe haven, where they want to be living in the world, where are their family. And we've actually seen a lot of expats looking to be moving home, whether they're expats that are from New Zealand or Australia based in Singapore, Hong Kong, China, looking to go back. And there's a stat that we had a property that was put on the market in Sydney, a stunning standalone house with beautiful um, grounds and tennis court and swimming pool. And there are over 300 inquiries on that property to date, of which 25% have actually come from expats in the region who are considering that move back home now. You're also seeing British expats based in Asia 
who perhaps have got children who are at that age where they're looking to send them back to board who are also questioning. I know of examples of people that are looking to move back and predominantly driven by education because they decided they wanted their kids to go back and they've decided actually in light of what's happened, they would want to be back in the UK as well, not on a 12-hour flight away. And also for people thinking about family who perhaps have been abroad for a long time. So it's a really interesting dynamic in terms of the people in Asia, be they domestic or expats living here in terms of what's driving their appetite at the moment. In your role itself is very unique. What is it about it that ignites your passion? What is it that you love so much about your job? I'm very passionate about the people I work with. I'm very passionate about the company I work for. And I'm very fortunate that my role is so diverse and I get to interact across geographies and service lines. You know, I touched before on the interaction with the different service lines in Asia, also interacting with the businesses in the Middle East, in Europe. We're regularly talking, sharing our learnings, communicating, helping looking after our clients together. So there's never a dull moment. And as I said before, I've been able to travel to some amazingly um, different places and I've got an amazing network of contacts now from my time in the UK, then to the Middle East and now into Asia Pacific. So what keeps it exciting is the, the amazing people I work with and also just the diverse range of different things that I get involved in on a day to day basis. And I have to say that I really feel from all the travel I've done and interactions that I've had in different cultures, it's not only helped me develop in my business, but also my personal life as well. So do you think having that international experience has improved your confidence, not just as an agent and a businessman, but also as a person? Do you think that having that kind of wider experience has made you more confident? I would say it definitely has. I've always been brought up to to be confident in myself. Um, I'm a very outward going person, but at times you obviously feel nervous in different situations. And it's definitely helped me on that side of things with talking and presenting to people because the more you do it, the more confidence you have in doing it. And actually, one thing I'd like to reflect on is probably when I think back to the early part of my career and what were the biggest lessons that I've learned, I think I would say looking back then and to today, it's not to be afraid to ask questions and interact with senior management. I mean, the first company that I worked for after university, the first week I was in the office, we had a weekly meeting and the owner of the business drove up in his sports car and parked outside the office and everyone gathered around, but none of the team outside of management who were preparing for our meeting sort of wanted to dare to go up and speak to him. And I've been brought up to be polite and introduce myself to people. So I walked up and, and shook his hand and introduced myself and said I was new and it was a pleasure to meet him, um, which it's from my upbringing. I'm fortunate that I've been sort of brought up to do that. I think that's something I would say I've taken from the start of putting yourself out there, even if you feel uncomfortable in a social networking situation and going to all these different places, going to different embassies and going to events within my travel across the different parts of the Nightfront Network, making sure you go up and, and start conversations with people. And that isn't always easy, but it's something sort of putting yourself out there. And that's definitely something that I have developed over my career and has really made me um, think about and become more confident about my interactions with people. I've also, when I think about looking back, I talked before about the two ears, one mouth. That's something that really sticks with me and really I'm still learning every day. And I think one thing I would share is I'm a big fan of Richard Branson, having read all his books. And one thing that he says, and this is something touching back on the sort of male-female dynamic of things, you know, if you're comfortable in your job, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to be getting out there, pushing yourself, 
driving yourself, innovating in terms of what you're doing. And I think when you look at people applying for jobs, if men don't meet most of the criteria for a job, maybe it's 60%, 50%, but they think and they have confidence in themselves that they can do it, they will apply for it. Whereas women on the other side won't. You know, if they if they don't tick sort of 80% of it, they won't put themselves forward when they could be fantastic for the role. So that's something that I've definitely thought about a lot in terms of my career and trying to help people that my peers and people that I work with try and help people anybody you know I think diversity is the key to success in any business and I I had a call with New Zealand business where I've done a podcast on what's happening in the New Zealand resi market last week and one thing that was really interesting was that from this big work from home experiment that we're all living in at the moment where people felt it wasn't possible for people to be at home be productive where we proved it is possible and in fact it's possible to drive innovation from your from your home that actually if you've got people who are working remotely, it doesn't matter where they are, as long as time zone wise, they can be a part of the business and plug into the business on that perspective. You could have people from outside of your country doing more to interact with your business. Mm, And I think that's so important to recognise because so often people see businesses as a monolith and treat the workforce as such. And that actually ignores the idiosyncrasies that actually allow a business to thrive and by making a workforce more diverse and protecting the diversity of your workforce you're more likely to have success in the long term because there is greater room for innovation and going on from that slightly I'm always a little bit hesitant to talk about gender balance especially in regards to the property industry because it can be a little bit of a taboo subject but I think it is really important to touch on it and especially given that at Night Frank we're doing huge amounts around promoting gender balance and ensuring that we've got a really fair an equal workforce. I'd be really interested to get your take on the issue of gender balance within the property industry and how it's impacted you or not impacted you in your career. It's a very good question. It's something I reflect on quite a lot. I spoke at a, on a panel for International Women's Day a few months ago now, just as we went into lockdown. And it made me really think, and I I agree with you, it can be a bit of a taboo subject. It's come a lot, we've come a long way in terms of men and women in the workplace and in terms of my personal journey I don't feel that I have been hindered because I've been a woman at all and I feel very fortunate that I've had some amazing and inspiring people that I've worked for and who didn't view not just your your if you're male or female or where you're from or your age I think the first company I worked for it was very open in terms of it's your capability it's about what you're delivering not where you're from, not what sex you are. It was just about who were you as a person and what are you doing to enhance what the company's objective is. So I've come from that and also a background, which I said before, of a working mother. Both my parents worked. My mother's a very successful businesswoman and instilled in me that hard work pays off. And it sounds like such a cliche, but hard work and perseverance do pay off. But I do also know when you actually look at it from other people's perspectives, there is still an imbalance and there's still a lot we have to do. And unconscious bias is a big part of that. And until we have diversity at the senior level, you won't see that really happening throughout a business. And that's something we as a business are really focused on. And it's really encouraging to see what we're doing and the the change we're driving. So from a personal perspective, I haven't personally experienced that I feel like I've been, maybe I have, and I haven't realized, maybe unconsciously I've, I could have done more than, I, than I've done, but I haven't felt it. But I do also still see it. And 
I also want to make sure that we are not driving to a future where we have the reverse. I've got two young boys. I don't want to feel like when they go into the workplace on the reverse that they're going to be hindered because they're two boys. So I think we need to get to a position where it's not about where you're from or your diversity or if you're male or female, it's about your ability. And I think that needs to be the focus is the ability and that we know diversity from a group of people is more effective. You see all the stats in terms of a diverse workplace and it stacks up. And so I think that's what we need to be driving towards is the right person for the job, regardless of anything else. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And I could talk about this for hours. But to go back to the, the title of this podcast, At Home With, I'd be really interested to find out a little bit more about your home and what it was that made you fall in love with it. So would you mind telling us a little bit about what it was that made you fall in love with your home? So in terms of my home, I see it as my sanctuary, and that's never been more current than the situation we're in now, especially spending most of the 24 hours in the day in the home, living, working, interacting with the family. So I would say, when I think back, so I rent my property in Singapore. When I think back to the property I bought in London, my husband and I bought that. We were looking for a family home that we could add value to, and that we could grow in as a family as we expanded. So we actually bought an Edwardian property that had only been lived in by one family before us and had no gas connection and needed complete renovation. And it's between the commons and it's in a great catchment area for an offset outstanding school and within a great community. And they were definitely on our list of musts in terms of what we were looking for when we were buying the house. That's now rented out due to us relocating abroad. And obviously we're now, we're now renting in Singapore, as I said, and we rented in Dubai. But when looking for our home here and in Dubai, the, the criteria was similar. And it was being close to good transport links, a good local community and local environment. And we've sort of switched Wandsworth and Clapham Common for Singapore Botanical Gardens, which is now on our doorstep here and in walking distance. But I think it's really that community, that sense of outdoor space, that interaction with nature, which has always been very important for me. I'm from the countryside. I'm originally from Somerset, so I'm used to green open fields and space. So how I can then replicate that. And now I live in a gar the garden city, as it's known, Singapore. That was very important for me. We've been in our home we're in now for three years. And we're actually about to move um, in August because our rent comes up and our landlady is looking to renovate our property, which is why we're moving. Otherwise, we would probably um, possibly stay. Although having said that, having been <laughs> having been living in the house 24-7, there are a few things that we need which we don't have. And I would say that's more outside space. We have quite a, we're have we in a sort of townhouse. We don't have a huge amount of outside space and football, get, football seems to be played more indoors than out um, because of the area naval in which she can do it is seems to be more opportune for the boys indoors so we definitely want space to be able to kick a ball around more easily outdoors um and we also want to um because in singapore we're on a semi-detached townhouse here actually probably more space to run around and and more space for the kids to sort of let loose at the weekends is what we're looking for so that's something that we've really thought about in light of if this was to happen again what would be important to us uh, and that's definitely top on our list of priorities, that outside space. That's so great that you've been able to almost pick up what you had in London and transport it to Singapore by incorporating that green space. And it's interesting to hear that lockdown has had an impact on where you're going to be looking for properties in the future. And bringing it back onto the career side of things, has there been an instant or a moment where you've helped someone find their dream home that really sticks in your mind? One deal historically that sticks out for me was a, a family from Italy who were looking to relocate to London with their three children and they ended up four children and they ended up buying a property in Chelsea and through the search I got to know the family really well and to understand what they were looking for and not only helped them with the house 
purchase, but also because the house needed work and they wanted to renovate it, connecting them with architects and interior designers, and then also helping them in terms of schooling they were going to be putting their children into school in the UK and how they went about that process and I looked after them and and built a really close relationship with them and I felt really touched they appreciated how I'd helped them with their search and the other needs that they had and they actually referred friends and family to me to assist with them as well and this is what the role is all about it's about really understanding your clients needs and giving them the right advice and building those trusted relationships and then you know you've done a good job when they say, actually, I've got a friend or my sister or somebody else I know is looking and would you help with their search? So that sort of stuck in my mind because that that led on to other other people that I was then referred to by that family. And there's some amazing experiences that you have through these relationships you build with your clients. Um, and so I feel very privileged to have had those exposures and experiences in my career today. So to begin to wrap up each podcast, we do a quick fire round. And the first question is London or country? Ideally both in an ideal world. But do we live in an ideal world? That would be my answer. I'm from the country. My only uh, sort of home outside of of Asia where I live is in London. Uh, but I would love to, to have the best of both if it was ever possible. Classic or contemporary? This is difficult. This shows my Gemini star sign because, again, I would I like both. I love uh, when you think about development. Some of my favourite developments, an example, would be say Hampstead Manor um, in Hampstead, which is a beautiful period property that's been developed and it's got some modern elements and obviously inside is all modern and new and it's got the, the period facade and so I would say both again. Dubai or Abu Dhabi? Dubai. Dubai because it was my home and I've got very fond memories and my younger son Zander was born in Dubai. Call or email? Always call not email. I think that there is a lot that can be misconstrued sometimes on email and I think it's much better if you can to pick up the phone and speak to somebody. Office or working from home? Hybrid again. Sorry, I think a bit of both. I think what has taught me from uh, my experience, I've always felt, and it's something, again, it's my, it's me limiting me. I felt, oh, you can't work from home because you're not seen to be working. And if you're working from home, people won't think you're actually doing work. I think what we've now shown is that we can work from home. You can prioritize, even with e-learning, you can still be effective at, at the home workplace. But I also really miss the interaction of being in the office. I love that hub our office in Singapore is it's a really beautiful lovely environment to work in and I miss my team members so I'm looking forward to getting back into the office but also having that balance and saying you know what you can work from home we can be effective but we do also need that collaboration time tea or coffee coffee walk or run so I bust my Achilles not my Achilles my ACL skiing in January so I actually technically can't run at the moment and I've really been missing do that but I am cycling so I've actually been really enjoying cycling and finally Asia or the UK this is a tough one UK the UK is my home I haven't lived there for seven years I'm very fortunate that with my work I go back normally I go back pretty regularly to the UK and get to see my family and friends and my work colleagues so UK is always going to be home but Asia is such an exciting place to be right now you look at the future you look at what's happening and actually on my nightstand is a 
is the future is asia which is a, a for not i've read parts of it but all of it a phenomenal um book about the future of asia and how it's leading the way in innovation you look at what's happening coming out of this and the asian markets the ones who are coming out slowly coming out first so asia for me is hugely exciting and my time is not done yet but ultimately you, the uk will always be my home and at some point i definitely want to be back there Amazing. So the final question that we ask all of our guests is, what does connecting people and property perfectly mean to you? It touches back on what we were discussing before about having two ears and one mouth. It's about really understanding your clients. It's about really understanding us as a business, what we have to offer, how we can best service our clients and how we can advise them correctly through all markets. Knight Frank is very lucky to have a phenomenal research team who are at the forefront in terms of advising and giving information to our clients to make key decisions. And you can't make decisions without that background of understanding the situation you're in. And it's about people. So our business is all about the people first. And not only are the people I work with, my colleagues, but they are also my friends. There is definitely an underlying value base to those people that work at Night Frank. And we're all here and we all work extremely hard to do the best we can at our jobs day in, day out. And I've seen that especially now during the lockdown where people are working phenomenally hard to keep the business driving forward, keeping making sure we're looking after our clients effectively. So I would say at the moment, we are really demonstrating what that means in terms of our outreach, in terms of what we're doing, not only for our clients, but also for our people and making sure that they're okay and that we are supporting everyone and what their needs are by listening, understanding, learning and driving forward the business in these difficult times. Brilliant. Victoria, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.